Orcus has sunk their evil little fingers into everything, including everyone's favorite ancient mutant warrior goddess Genesis. But that doesn't mean Rockville Public Radio is going off the air. This week, we are talking about all the X-Men comics from the week of June 14th, 2023, as we continue the final approach to the fall of X. I'm that nerdy Papa Bear Rod, and this is the guy who is ready for the meaningless minis to finally end, my one and only co-mega mutant, Keegan. Hey, hey, how's it going? I stumbled on it, but I'm not redoing that. My co-mega mutant, Keegan. How are you, buddy? (laughs) I'm doing okay, and you are right. I am so ready for all of these meaningless minis to end. I... I feel like for the first time since we started this podcast, just under a year ago, so not that long ago, but like, we're to the point where only the main books are ca- capturing my interest, like at all. I am yeah. just, I was trying to be into these minis when they started, and now here we are in the final issues of a bunch of them, and it, it's all just hurry up, get past it, get me to the fall of X, I'm ready. Exactly. That said, in this episode, we are talking X-Men Red number 12, Wolverine number 34, Rogue and Gambit number 4, X-23, Deadly Regenesis, an Excellent number 4, and the X-Men stories from Marvel's Voices, Pride number 1. A lot of that's going to be punted, but we'll be talking about it all. But first, but first, but first, we are recording this on Father's Day. You're probably not going to hear it until the morning of the day after Father's Day. But regardless, Keegan. Yes. Who's the mutant daddy? The mutant daddy? Like, I mean, we can have a couple. I just, when you think of mutants and daddy, who are you picturing? Hmm. I would say, I mean, it's Cable, right? Like, it's Cable. He's on the short list. I'll give yeah. you, he's on the short list for sure. I, it helps when, you know, Josh Brolin plays him, too, you know? Yeah, like, that's fair. That's fair. I thought maybe you were going to go Magneto. Yeah, Magneto is, like, my, my you know, number one or number two, depending on the day kind of yeah. thing. I think the only real answer is Apocalypse. I'm just going to say it. I think Apocalypse I mean, is the mutant daddy. I mean... That's fair. <laughs> you know what? I want some answers. I'm going to put it as a poll on Spotify, and I want you to write in... Record it, and we'll play the best of them. Send yeah. us a video of it in the Discord. I want to know your plug for the Mutant Daddy. You ready to talk X-Men Red number 12? I am so ready to talk X-Men Red number 12. Written by Alan Ewing, drawn by Jacopa Camagni. Cam- it opens with a flashback of the White Sword freeing John Ironfire as Genesis forces near. Knowing soon he and his forces would be under her control... He gives John his sword with the intention to free his friend, warn the Great Ring, and keep the sword itself out of Genesis's hands. Tell them all, but especially the Seed of Loss, he says. We see the original Four Horsemen are reunited and working for Mommy Genesis again, and they're working together to lay siege to the White Sword's ivory spire. They infect members of his army with a contagion that spreads quickly, though White Sword's touch manages to heal the infected. Genesis herself arrives on the back of a dragon and questions the White Sword on where his namesake blade, Purity, is. And he asks, where's Apocalypse? Which we were all thinking, we were all asking. Neither of them gets an answer, though. Genesis activates her Annihilation Staff and demands all acknowledge her rule as the true General of Arako. The next panel shows her on her throne with everyone bowing to her. The story cuts to Arako in the Red Lagoon, where John is regaling the Brotherhood of his journey to bring them the message and purity. Storm wants to call the ring together to discuss matters, while John is upset that they wouldn't immediately gather the troops. This isn't a time for talk! Fisher King and John exchange harsh words, and Storm puts them both in line. John offers one final word of warning. When she arrives, it'll already be too late. Right on cue, Genesis arrives, forming her own Okara Gate in the ruins of Arako Prime and meeting with Mariana Stern of Coven Akaba, revealing not only an alliance with the Coven, but Orcus as a whole. That's right, y'all. X of Swords 2 Electric Boogaloo is all about Genesis working with Orcus. Do you know what this is, Keegan? Do you know what this is? X of Swords 2. <laughs> but also, but also, also, 
it seems like a really bad like there seems like they're throwing everything at the wall to convince us that Orcus is as big of a threat as they want it to be. They're really pulling all the stops out here in the build up to be like, they control literally everything. Yeah, that's true. I <laughs> How do we actually feel about them pulling back in all of these threads to immediately connect it to Orcus and Kavanakaba and all of that? Uh, I think it's an interesting choice. Uh, I'm really, I'm genuinely curious. I've seen reactions going both ways. I'm not like being judgy. I'm asking, yeah. like, do, you, do you have a take yet? I, I think I am, as of right now, I am okay with it, right? Like, I'm not, you know, fully, like, jumping on board, like, yeah, let's go. I'm not mad at it. Like, right now, I'm like, okay, yeah, this makes sense. And I think it, it goes back to kind of like when I was saying, I want to say, yeah, we were saying it during Shark Girl Week, uh, is that, you know, the fall of X, I think the idea is going to be that it's this attack with this attack with this attack and this other attack. You know, it's the having to battle on all fronts is what takes them down rather than yeah. like one threat. So building up as many, uh, you know, tiers of attack as they can uh, makes sense to me. Yeah, I, I think I see Orcus's motive. I really need them to quickly establish Genesis's motive here. Mm -hmm. Like, it seems weird she would, like, give her allegiance, and even, it, it seems like subservience to someone else. Like, it seems like her whole shtick is, I'm still in charge of Araco. You haven't run Araco well enough. I'm going to take Araco back. But to do it by saying like, yeah, I'll fall in line with all these other tendrils of Orcus. It strikes me as a bridge too far, but Al Ewing has earned the runway to sell me on stuff. So yeah, I'm not like upset about it, but I am definitely confused by it. Yeah. It's like, I'm much more willing to see things uh, play out when it's in the hands of like Ewing or Dylan or Spurrier. Yeah. So I, I that is probably my only negative on the issue is I'm confused on that direction. The execution to me was pitch perfect. I loved hmm. everything we got here. What was your yeah. overall take on the issue? Uh, I thought it was a fun issue. I liked it a lot, like as a whole issue. I think you kind of nailed it where it's like, kind of not sure where they're going with this. I'm, I'm waiting to see, you know, what this is, you know, maybe, maybe it's, she doesn't care about, you know, any of Krakoa. So she's going to work with them to take, so they can take care of Krakoa while she takes care of Morocco, or right. she's just going to betray them <laughs> once they do all the dirty work, you know? I think that's the hardest thing for me to buy in on is like, she just seems like such a bigger deal. Yeah. Like it definitely seems like at any point she could just be the main, if they are burning her to establish Orcus's stakes and that this, this X of Swords two story is going to only be the next four issues of X-Men Red, and that's all we're going to see of the Genesis War, like, that's going to be underwhelming for what her what her coming back could be. Like, that mm -hmm. could be the big crossover of 2024, you know what I mean? Like, they could make that a whole year after round it, just like they do with X of Swords. Absolutely. So, <laughs> I, I mean, think that's my fear. Yeah, when you drop a name like the Genesis War, <laughs> you know, that's, that's very much being... I fought alongside your father in the Clone Wars, and then not talking about the Clone Wars for thirty friggin' years. You know, like yeah. that. You know, you could do something with Genesis or like that, and totally. <laughs> uh, we've made that comparison before. That is exactly yeah. what that scene in the Sins of Sinister like evoked was. Yeah, was that planting a seed that someday down the line will show you what this is. So if this if this is that seed growing, I'm really afraid that they're not going to let it become the massive oak it could be. I got a few different relationships I really wanted to kind of peel into a little bit here. Yeah. Uh, so Genesis and the White Sword, which is really interesting the way his character, I guess, has been softened because mm -hmm. his whole thing was uh, the eons and eons of fighting. All he cared about was fighting. So it's really interesting that he, when he hears of her returning – is inspired to not only free John and send John, but is attempts to save Araco, who last we saw him, he couldn't really care less about. So 
knowing you, Ling, I really hope we get kind of a flashback focus issue at some point that's about White Knight's or the White Sword's experience from the end of X of Swords to now. Whatever has changed his motivation in that way, because you know he's got a backstory in his head. That's just the way Ewing writes. Is he always like he wouldn't make that big of a character shift without there being a reason behind it? And I really hope right. we can see that play out. Yeah, I would. I would like to see that too. Just like you know. Like you said, Ewing doesn't make these choices for no reason. Yeah. And, uh, he, there's a plan in everything when it comes to Ewing. Uh, and so I want to see that plan. Yes. Uh, White Sword's relationship with John was really interesting. Happy Pride! Yes. <laughs> yes. So we find out they were friends before he was one of his hundred. That he has an intimate nickname for the White Sword of Blue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and when he sets him free like oh you're finally gonna age it's just it's, it's very very erotic like scene where the implications are definitely there but also it's really interesting to me that a friendship would survive the, the kind of torturous existence we were, were kind of beat down with them having that yeah, he has to resurrect him every night, and yet it seems like their friendship is still as genuine as ever, which is really cool. Yeah. And then the final one that really stood out to me was Fisher King's immediate kind of distaste, or like he immediately butts heads with him when generally what we see from the Fisher is he wants to soften a Rocco. He, he, his whole shtick has been like bringing everyone together, like a new age, a new era, less vitriol less uh so it's interesting to see him immediately in conflict with a brand new face but then the more i thought about it it does kind of make sense because john represents only the old rocko but like i was saying the old hardest of the hardcore of them the the, the hundred that stood with him and died every night and all they lived for was violence so i think I think that's probably the thread I'm most excited to see further develop is how those two interact going forward. I know it seems like Ironfire is Ewing's pet character at this point. Like I've seen some people online saying that he's already being overexposed for how quickly, for how recently he was made. But I, I want to see every interaction we can between John mm -hmm. Ironfire and the Fisher. I do too. And like, that's a good point. Like you brought up, like the Fisher King really does see him as like a threat to everything he has tried to advance on Arako. And it's kind of the first threat we've seen him exposed to. Yeah. It, he's been a step ahead of everybody. And so this is an interesting parallel with Immortal that Red doesn't show us the politics as often, but the politics when they're there are such a cool mirror of the politics of. Uh, the Krakoan Council. Like, mm -hmm. I want to see that. I want to see those two going head to head. I love how clear it is that uh, Bobby is is really in more control than he ever has been. That the Brotherhood meets in his bar, the Red Lagoon, now, and he's got he had it was what it was the night seats. It was Storm and were they were the only ones there? But anyways. Yeah. That that the, they're kind of the, the first group that gets to interact with whatever the new problem is and then it gets taken to the ring as a whole. So like the the, the night seats are like a true shadow council now and, and he's truly running it. It's just so so cool to see Sunspot in that position. Absolutely. I mean like finally some appreciation for him. <laughs> yeah. Well and that's so the kind of thing he's just perfect for is that kind of espionage run things behind the scenes without being as, as upfront and honest as the ring or the quiet council is forced to to be that that behind the scenes guy in charge uh uh the the line where the white sword said tell everyone but especially the seat of laws we talked a lot around the judgment day issues about how ewing writes like poetically the, mm -hmm. the way he phrases things and just that he can evoke and there was something about that line that hit so hard for me because the seat of loss is who is in charge after a battle's already been lost. Like that's in the, so him, just him before we even see the conflict begin saying, 
make make sure the lady that can, that's in charge after we've already lost hears it. It tells you everything you need to know about how this is going to go. This, this is not going to go well. It's exposition but, without being expository. Yeah, it, it's it's a lot of exposition in, you know, five, six words. Yeah, I loved <laughs> it. It's so good. Does all of the Coven Akaba stuff this week mean Captain Britain, the mini, now matters? Am I allowed to just say no? <laughs> Yeah, let's just say no. We could just say no and move on. Genesis's motive seems to be that she believes Storm's leadership is why they lost to Uranus in Judgment Day. Yeah. Do we think there's anything Genesis could have done to make it go differently? Like, if we're being honest about it. I don't think so. Like, when you think about the Omega shit that Storm and Magneto were doing, yeah. I just... What's what's mommy gonna do? That's gonna be any different. Like Uranus was just wrecking house, <laughs> and and I think that's really that's why I think that it's like a flaw in her logic. Like, right, she would not have been able to do what Storm did, you know, uh, to give Magneto his, you know, his time and everything he needed. Um, so I don't think it would have helped. I think it probably would have went even worse. I think so too. But I think it's completely in character for her to believe that. Like, I don't think that's a flaw in the story. I just think that's an interesting motivation for a character when she's just straight wrong. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not a flaw in the story. It's a a character flaw because (laughs) she's just wrong and prideful. Wrong, 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 wrong. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So there was a nice continuity error fix that I don't know if you remember me ranting about way back when we did judgment day but mm-hmm. uh so there was a random judgment day thing in the when the attack on Araco happened where it specifically listed Araco's population as one million yes and everyone pointed out right away that hey like three issues ago it was two million and the editor jordan d white pointed out like yeah but you know that thing where they talked about there being a bunch of mercenaries but it, it always felt a little forced because you think like half the population just disappearing would be like noticed yeah uh well it was noticed apparently and uh stern in her like letter describing like the reasons why genesis probably won't be happy with storm describes it as fully half of the iraqi population being scattered to the winds of space as mercenary trash so apparently that isn't just an editor throwing out a fix they've now canonized it and made it part of the character motivations of care of both orcus and genesis and i i love it i love that they're fully incorporating and fixing that typo that <laughs> karen gillen accidentally wrote <laughs> yeah i think it's a really clever fix uh that kind of just makes it work better more cleanly you know yeah. it's not just that oops we messed up it's like okay we're going to make this work for another storyline now. Okay. I already told you I only had one problem. I, I do have a second problem, and I don't remember if we ended up talking about it last issue or it might not have stood out to me as much last issue. We switched artists when yes, we came we back did. from Sins of Sinister. Mm-hmm. I missed that Stefano Caselli art. I do too. Um, and, you know, nothing against uh, Jacobo. Like, their art is good too. Yeah, so it, it isn't unserviceable, but no. it's missing that pop that just made the first 10 issues like the best comic of last year. Yeah, something about Caselli's art paired with Ewing's narrative like really just made the book sing on another level. They had a synergy just like Kieran Gillen and Lucas Wernick over in Immortal. Like, mm-hmm. you feel the filler issues there. I don't know if this is filler issues or if this is a new permanent right artist, but you feel the fillerness of these issues too in the artwork. Where's Daddy? Where's Daddy? <laughs> like, Where yeah. Like I get that they reference it in the issues, so they're gonna give us Apocalypse eventually, but where is he? Where's Daddy? Where he at though? I mean, I guess I guess in two weeks we get a book literally called The Heralds of Apocalypse. So hopefully that's where we see him. But I'm hoping. <laughs> but where's Daddy? <laughs> I I'm really curious to see if he ends up standing up to Genesis if he's on Team Genesis suddenly because he left 
really under the guise of like I'll keep her reined in. So I, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, Wolverine. Yeah, click on oh, over. Do you remember how I told you I had to click over? Yeah, I totally was super late clicking over. So the first like four minutes of us talking about X Men Reds can have no no box okay. art, but that's all right. Wolverine thirty two. Written by Benjamin Percy, drawn by Juan Jose Rip, opens with Jeff Bannister's military buddies opening fire on Wolverine and Maverick on their little raft in the ocean, still under the assumption that Wolverine is one of the Wolverine clones. It's an absolutely gorgeous drawn sequence, including a shot of Beast's kaiju base under, directly underneath them, like looking up, watching uh, the bottom of the boat. But uh, seriously, this is the first eight pages of this book. It takes a third of the entire runtime for Wolverine to radio his friend to be like, bro, it's me, and Bannister to be like, sorry, Lolo, my B, my B. Bannister lands his helicopter on this big piece of sea ice, and he and Logan chat before kaiju attack. The helicopters swoop in and fire on the kaiju, so it, like, submerges, but Jeff is, like, caught in the vortex of the water, so he gets sucked down, and Logan tries to swim after him, but... Maverick convinces him to give up and let go of his friend. So they go pout in a bar in Norway, and one of the clone Wolverine shows up. Looks like he's got like a bomb, but it's hologram of Beast who invites him to dinner, uh, but alone. So they meet at this snooty restaurant in the Faroe Islands where Beast suggests Wolverine leaves him the hell alone. But as an act of good faith, he wants to trade Bannister for the Wolverine clones that Wolverine and Maverick have in custody because they're expensive. I need to know more about this process. We've heard that they're expensive. We've heard that they're just as good as the other clones. We've heard that they're not quite matches. We keep hearing different things about these clones. I want to know what the hell Beast is doing to make these clones. Anyways, Maverick reveals that the Wolverine clones seem to be re-rowing full intelligence because of their healing factors because, sure, Let's give Percy another easy out to just end the story after three years. Uh, and then we see Beast prepared for the prisoner exchange, flanked by his Wolverines that might turn on him any moment. That Percy pacing, eh? <laughs> okay. Here's the thing about this Percy pacing that really uh, irritated me. Is... You know, we spend, what did you say, eight pages? It was a, it was a full eight pages before we, they, we spend he made the radio call. pages on that. But, but the hologram message is a data page? Like, the big per, hologram Percy's da- Percy is, like, everything people complain about the data pages. I am, I am a pro data page guy. Percy's yeah. data pages are lazy. No, absolutely. Especially because, like, that, I would want to see that hologram more than not see the hologram. Yeah. I would want to see that moment. But no. And it. I like that they took eight pages for that chase sequence. Yeah. And then they just were in a bar in Norway. That was two pages. And then they were uh, in the Faroe Islands at some snooty restaurant. Yeah. What? And, and, and then they let they what then Beast gets to be a bargain bin Denethor and eat like a pig the whole time like okay it wasn't I, even menacing. I liked that. Okay, okay. I disagree. I I hear you. I I do have a mini rant that's actually more positive than most of my rants. Okay, so, okay, let's hear it. So the pacing, hundred percent sucked. Yes. This one leaned far enough into the comedy. I actually give this issue an overall thumbs up, believe it or not. Oh. Uh, so Bannister is the constant damsel in distress, including the absolute dog shit decision to meet on a chunk of an iceberg. Yeah, I... What, what the fuck? Why did you land a helicopter on floating ice? <laughs> Isn't he supposed to be in the intelligence community? rappel down and land in the boat that's already there i don't know there's plenty of options but anyways like that was legit funny to me like they couldn't like there's so many ways they could have avoided him getting sucked into a vortex by the kaiju uh but then you you just brought up the imagery of uh beast like evil monologuing while just destroying that fucking lobster like the way that man ate the lobster was hilarious in a Michelin star restaurant while Wolverine is in his just rat 
Like, he's been at this mission for weeks, so he's just disheveled as fuck. And they're sitting alone in the fanciest of fancy restaurants. Uh, I, I I found all that actually pretty funny. I, I'm not saying this is top of my stack. I'm not saying suddenly I like it. But there's no reason for Percy not to lean on this side of his writing. We've had other – there was – a month or two, I don't remember if it was X Forces or this one. We had the same. I had the same same comment of like this leaned heavy enough into the comedy that I legit found it good, and this is the second one this year probably. And I don't understand why he doesn't do this more often and instead leans on the Wolverine self hatred, like overwritten, overwrought bullshit he does so often. Because I can handle funny Percy when he does this, it feels earned it feels like i can enjoy it and you know i think that's a valid point that you make but for me the reason why i had a problem with it and it kind of ties into the point you're making is it did not feel funny to me like it did not feel like it was intended to be funny to me it did it genuinely felt like he was trying to have some moment like denethor uh you know where he's eating and 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 there's the singing and the, the, the tomatoes you know lord of the rings yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, it felt like it was supposed to be that, like this this kind of haunting okay. moment, you know? Um, and I think that that's just because of the history of Benjamin Percy, right? Like, all of the Wolverine and X-Force books, like, it feels like it's supposed to be so overwritten, you know? And, yeah. And, you know, Wolverine is doing his best uh, BJ Blaskowitz of, like, it's cold, but I felt colder, and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And And so it doesn't read as funny to me, and it reads as overwritten. (laughs) And I I have to be 100% honest, not knowing enough about the -the behind-the-scenes guy that is Benjamin Percy, and with how rarely the comedy hits for me, it's hard for me to be able to say how intentional it is. And it could be all on Juan Jose, because the art slayed this issue, I felt like. Like I said, as much as I hated that they wasted eight pages on it, there was some gorgeous shots in those first few pages. The cover of this issue is one of the coolest covers ever, just like Wolverine jumping down onto the kaiju, which is a scene yeah. not in the book. So I don't know why we got that really cool cover that had nothing to do with it. But yeah. Uh, so it could just be the way he drew it made the lobster scene funny to me. I don't know, but... To me, if every issue was this, I could live with this book so much better than I do when we get one of these every, I don't know, once a, once a, an arc or once every six months. And so yeah. I, you have to trudge through the worst of it. And I still hate the pacing. The pacing is such a problem to me. Like, it really is. Oh, you know what? I skipped my initial joke I was going to make about the lobster. Go, so go I'm going to read it, it because, yeah. because I do like it. So Beast absolutely annihilated that lobster. I imagine the scene of Beast just tearing into it like a raccoon with a discarded McDonald's bag was autobiographical to Benjamin Percy and how he eats his meals. <laughs> like, I just picture that guy just ripping into every every meal he eats the way Beast was eating. That's fair, honestly. Yeah. Probably. You know how people are saying Valentine Wong is a self-insert for Alyssa Wong? Alyssa, yeah. I think Beast, especially at the in that scene, is a self-insert for Benjamin Percy. That's dark. That's <laughs> that's concerning. That's ooh, baby. Just, just his eating habits, not yeah. the like fascist stuff. Not the fascism. <laughs> Speaking of the fascism, is yeah. Fall of X gonna finally be the end of this fucking arc is 2024 the year of redeemed beast finally i mean maybe so here's my problem is if we go back to the oh what's it timeless is that what they're called yeah the 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 timeless issue where oh, we like had the, the army, army of army of beasts. Is is that just getting swept under the rug, like in the in this like damn near B plot X Force? Or was that just because those don't always like the visuals aren't always a hundred percent what we end up seeing, right? They're I, they're like hints at it. So is that is that literally the beast army he has here? Is that right, literally just 
that's kind of my problem, right? Is like I liked the idea of this beast army, right? This like and instead, instead, it's a Wolverine army where he uses beasts to kind of be their commanders. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I don't know. It could be. It could be that we're still headed for that. I mean, we're basically halfway through the year, yeah. so uh, the the Spider Man we saw did end up being Nightcrawler. So to me, that's a win out of timeless. Like that was. I called That's that pretty true. early, and it worked out just fine. So, I guess we'll have to see what happens. I I don't know that I want to see an army of beasts at this point, though. Like, yes, I mean, that concept I mean, was cool, but do we really need to see yet another like piece of this? That's, <laughs> We're getting that's the time traveling thing. Yeah. Uh, I just read because next week we have X Force. I just read the preview for the next issue, and it looks ridiculous. So yay for that. So I whatever. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. But I like the comedy. It, it made like me laugh a lot more than uh, Bub, 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 Bot in X-Force. So. You know what? That's fair. I'll give it that. Rogue and Gambit? Yeah, let's click on over to Rogue and Gambit. Written by Stephanie Phillips, drawn by Carlos Gomez, it opens with a flashback of the power broker showing off the potential of his mind control of villains to various world leaders and Ambassador Brousseau, so more coming to Kaba, uh, asks if they take special requests. We get a data page that's Gambit texting Storm for relationship advice, which is weird, but at least makes way more sense than Rogue hitting up Rocket Raccoon. But both Gambit and Storm feel super out of character, so even though it makes sense that they'd at least be talking, it still doesn't really work and then we finally get to the present day where rogue is standing over vanisher's body who she accidentally killed last issue removing his mind control chip she brawls with power brokers whole team again and manifold manages to get the mind control chip like on her but while it bonds with her gambit shows up and interrupts the implant procedure so like she's half mind controlled she's still able to talk but broker controls her body and her powers so he makes them fight that's right rogue and gambit fighting can you believe it like physically this time instead of the intense emotional trauma they've been inflicting on each other for the other three issues so i guess it is kind of new anyways they do more of that too like they're all they are still also like verbally just abusing the shit out of each other uh with rogue calling gambit out on his bs and demanding he leave while she absorbs the various powers of the other mind control baddies so he finally agrees to go get the remote from the broker who's like right outside getting in a helicopter uh so he makes it crash with his cards and then but the broker's like oh but even if you get the remote like she still has to die uh, and then they hear a and they look and there's a supercharged rogue who's out of control that comes crashing out of the like base coming straight for them and somehow we still have a whole other issue before the inevitable divorce scene. So all of this, all of this, pointless, everything that just happened is completely pointless in a world of infinite resurrection. Like, if the stakes are literally just they'll die, then yeah. they aren't stakes. That has been the whole point of the Krakoa era is you have they have to be creative and give like points of conflict that are worse th- that are somehow different than just you'll die. Steffi Phillips missed that memo. <laughs> oh no, I'll be dead, and they definitely won't bring me a member of the freaking X Men back as soon as possible that's, i don't understand how the, that wasn't the entire end of the story of her being like if you take it out of me i'll die oh well did you have a backup recently mon yeah. cher and then yeah. her being like yeah i did okay rip like exactly oh i'll die sugar oh luckily mon cher you're on the x-men so they'll bring you back right away oh that's right fantastic rip, yeah. rip. roll credits uh to continuing down the it makes no fucking sense juggernaut was a hero in legion of x months ago i know i talked about this in the other issues but the fact they don't even reference it like it's one thing for yeah everyone always regresses but the fact that after all of his development in legion of x he's regressed to a villain and no one even references like hey you were just hanging out with us being cool yeah makes no sense makes no sense 
and then and then and then okay okay i have a theory because okay the other thing that emphasized throughout this run but it got like way heavier this issue with the texting with storm him talking about like they they prefer their relationship only physical like oh we're we just like fit like oh we only get in the bed and get get down to business like we prefer naked time to like naked emotional interactions or whatever like doesn't make any sense for their character arc right like no like the majority of their time is they can't touch at all and it's a it's about their emotional connection and that's what me- makes them one of the most popular like ships is because the teen girls love like the overwrought like tension and romance these two have so i i have a theory it's not a real theory we missed an announcement somewhere and this is like x23 deadly regenesis and is a throwback miniseries this this takes place in the 90s it's the only thing that makes any sense because it would also fix the dumb snafu where they forgot what powers that she has like but it can't no in story it it technically can't but yeah. I feel like I feel like Stephanie Phillips definitely hasn't read X Men since then or something like like there's a weird thing where none of this makes sense to the current status quo and not even just like post since a sinister status quo just it doesn't make sense in Krakoa at all it doesn't right. make sense for anything going on well you know that's that's the unfortunate problem too is that like it is all krakoa they mentioned krakoa they oh yeah they no, I, was I was i was no being... i know <laughs> but i'm just like it sucks because even though that would be a logical explanation for all these other just absolutely silly <laughs> oversights that you would probably understand if you had to read like the bible of it right it just doesn't work and you know i I think part of it for me, it's just like the longer this goes on, the more pointless it seems at every friggin' point. A hundred percent. And I think I'm getting frustrated because I'm finally buying into the point where, like, as much as I don't like Gambit, the premise of exploring his trauma of everything he's been through so far in Krakoa and how that affects his relationship mm-hmm. is a pretty cool premise. That Absolutely. This- is executed in the weirdest possible way that's impossible to enjoy. <laughs> that's the thing, too. It's like, why Why is there like a conversation between him and Storm in out-of-character text messages about yeah. this trauma, but they don't touch on it in like the important places? Again, it's another almost abuse of the data page like era. It's yeah. just it's such a weird use of the data page. And as you brought up that da- the text message again, why does he text in his accent? He goes through and he puts apostrophes yeah. in the place of like the G's in words. Yeah. Why? I have friends that live in New Orleans. They talk like Gambit talks. They do not text like gambit text it makes zero sense now i i will say um occasionally when i'm texting i will do like oh i'm just talking and i'll do t-a-l-k-i-n but i won't do the apostrophe right i'll just leave it there yeah well because on a phone keyboard apostrophes are way harder than on a on a keyboard keyboard you gotta do like three button presses to get to it so it is absurd but it also is the kind of thing where i would say i definitely leave out the g sometimes as like more of an emphasis thing or to show my tone yeah yeah, i use it as like a tone of casual yeah he he wasn't doing it like text speak like he was saving letters it was full-on just exactly how they type out his phrases in speech bubbles like i almost yeah it was just a weird choice that i did not enjoy <laughs> yeah you know but now that you see now you went and you mentioned it and i'm just like man <laughs> you know because like yeah why i mean you love to tell me he's just a little guy that is not little guy behavior it's not is... it's not the behavior of a little guy or a scamp <laughs> it's that's the behavior of one of those douchebags that's like 
No, New Orleans is the best, best, like, my, my region is the best region in the world, so I have to emphasize in every, every conversation that I'm from my region, like, oh, not little guy behavior. Not it's little. edgy, try-hard behavior, <laughs> and that's not what my little scamp would do. Not my, not my little guy. Hashtag not my gambit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Alright. <sighs> X-23 Deadly Regenesis. Yeah. Alright. <laughs> Written by Erica Schultz, drawn by Edgar Salazar, it opens with Laura reluctantly carrying out a mission for Kimura. Chimera? 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 Whatever. Sorry. I'm really bad with pronunciation. <laughs> for those just tuning in, this takes place back during the San Francisco era of X-Men Utopia, so you're talking 2010-ish uh, in real-time publishing. Uh, and last issue, we saw X-23 reluctantly finally agree to carry out a mission after being captured by them because... She was like, oh, I'll kill all of these other captives if you don't carry out a mission. So it opens with her being watched by a drone uh, as she's, like, standing on top of a skyscraper. And she goes down and she breaks into the guy's house. And she conveniently takes out the drone so that she can help him fake his death by, like, she cuts herself and puts his blood on him. And takes snaps a picture of his corpse and is like, yo, don't leave the apartment for two weeks. That's the only way you can protect your family. Don't call anyone, don't text anyone, don't answer the phone, bye. And then she gets back, and Chimera congratulates her, but notes, like, it's weird, we lost another drone, huh? Like, clearly she's getting suspicious. So Laura goes downstairs and visits Jordan, uh, the haymaker, the, like, new villain slash anti-hero, whatever he's going to be, they created for this arc. Uh, and uh, he estab- or they establish that there is still animosity even if they hate the kingpin more than they hate laura because they've got like a, a punching bag up with kingpin's face on it so then laura is sent on another mission this time they use put uh not close cap put uh close circuit tvs to watch her instead of a drone so she can't just get rid of them she's supposed to steal this test tube from a scientist who's working in a shipping container for some reason so she goes in and instead of killing uh, the scientist or the guard who tries to shoot her, she just slices the end of the guard's gun off, and she successfully gets the test tube, but Kimura's like, why didn't you kill them? And she's like, that wasn't the mission. The mission was to get a test tube. And so she shoots one of the guards in the room and tells Laura, like, do you see how serious I am now? Jordan's, like, kind of horrified. And Laura's like, okay, I'll, I'll listen from now on. But then... Jordan is even more horrified when their benefactor walks in, and it is Kingpin. Yeah. Talk about paint by numbers. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. Like this book is so like telegraphed where it's headed. I just I. She's my favorite X Man. Like I love my Laura Kenny. This this book is is getting to be a tough read. Yeah, it's just. It's just kind of boring. It's that, what's a phrase you always say? They're like, this was a comic book. I oh, read. Yeah, that, yeah. This, this was a comic book that happened. Like, yeah. yeah. It, and that's really, that's, this book happened. Like, it was pretty funny to have Haymaker go off on how much faith they have in Chimera in less mm-hmm. than seven full pages later. Like, their, their worst enemy shows up and is the boss. But again, that was super core. Like, that, like that, it was obvious that's where the story was headed from when we saw Kingpin was the villain in the very beginning. I do want this better payoff, kind of like how I'm liking the Storm Mini because clearly it's tied to things that are happening in Krakoa. Whatever goes down in the fifth issue, we better see at some point it referenced with Kingpin now on Krakoa. Like I, I want to so. see current Laura interact with current Kingpin. That's the only thing that'll make this run worth reading. Mm-hmm. It has payoff in the present day. I agree completely. This this takes place in the middle of the two the the, the uh, X twenty three series that was running at the time. It's hard to believe the stakes are going to end up very high because obviously, like the start of the issue says, like this takes place before issue four of, so you know it's going to get back to the point where she's back in San Francisco with hanging out with Logan. So there's only so much they can do with the last issue. Yeah. Right? Let this be the last flashback we ever get of Laura. Give us a present-day Laura book. Please. Let Give it us... be the last flashback for anything that we get in a while. Yeah. Once Fall of, Fall of X gets going, 
I, we've got that Gene one that I think isn't the Gene Cray one a flashback technically. I uh, think so. And head like, into an, head into a new era where you're putting out enough present day stuff that we don't need throwbacks. I hate to say it. That's all I got on that. That's that's all I got too, and I feel bad about it, but it is all I got. You know what we get to do now, though. We get to go. Wait, wait, wait! I had to click. I had to click. You know what we get to do now? What do we get to do now? <laughs> around universe. I just honestly, my favorite part about around the Marvel universe is I get to do the the Cesaro swing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we 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 don't have the time today because this is a we have uh, quite a few books, but. We'll have a wrestling diversion at some point because I watched Collision and I got thoughts. Mm. But around the Marvel Universe, we had the excellent number four. Unfortunately, that I don't have many thoughts about. Yeah. It's really it's more of the same, and I feel like we really zoned in on the issues and the positives for me, but the issues with this series that it's it's kind of a series out of time. That it got killed by the COVID delays, but also just Peter Milligan waited too long to come back and do a social media commentary when he's a literal boomer and does not understand modern social media. So he's yeah. it's commentary on twenty twelve social media really. So that hurts. And it. it's such a different beast now yeah. than it was even three years ago. Yeah. That to have it be a decade old commentary is just it's yeah. unfortunate. The all red art is great. There is definitely good jokes in there. Like I'm not regretting reading it, but it is not as powerful as the uh, ecstatics commentary on uh, reality TV was because that was timely. That was coming out in the era of reality TV, and Milligan was a little more in tune with pop culture at the time. And then we had Marvel Voices Pride number one, which was a giant anthology this year. Has it always been a ninety pager? I don't have um, a feeling that thick. I feel like it's usually pretty thick. I don't know about ninety, but it's always been a thicker book. There was some there was some stories I really enjoyed in there. Did you grab it this week or not? I did grab it, yeah. Okay. Uh so there was I think really only the two that are relevant to our show, and one of them was pretty short. There was uh Stephen Byrne wrote Jumbo Carnations Ultimate Creations. Jumbo Carnations Ultimate Creations, in case I feel like I might have mispronounced his name there. Which is basically him making outfits for people for Pride. But it's just really... I, I thought it was a nice little kind of commentary on like self-expression. And I, I liked yeah, it. Yeah, it was fun. It? it was four or five pages. It was pretty brief. Yeah. Uh, and then more importantly though, Steve Fox wrote Today's Lessons. Which was about gimmick. Kind of settling into Grappelling life still. And fighting some super Z-tier villains. It was a nice little reintroduction though. Because Show for the Atom was like... Two and a half, three years ago now? It's been it was a, while. a while ago. If you don't remember, she was the one that dressed up like Gambit, ended up being the only one that actually had mutant powers. Like her actual mutant powers were shape shifting and healing, but she was doing the Gambit cards because Children of the Atom were all using tech to, to masquerade as mutants, and then uh, it turned out one of them actually was a mutant. It was a really nice book. I like I like Children of the Atom a lot. Uh, we also saw her really recently in the last issue of Bishop War College. She was one of the ones in the where he saw the second class and he was like, come at me. She was in that group. And then she's going to be one of the stars of Dark X-Men. Apparently, like all of the, the, like, the press when they announced it framed it as like a, why is this mutant gimmick working with or under the, the control of the Goblin Queen. So it sounds like she might be kind of the the, uh, the main character and we see all the bigger mutants like through her eyes maybe. I don't know. Mm. But uh, for some reason, here, still dressed as Gambit. Because he's a little guy. <laughs> it just seems weird that you, like, you're fully public now with your actual power set. It seems weird you're dressed like Gambit, but that's okay. That's... Sometimes you just want to be in your little guy cosplay. <laughs> I liked I liked that story a hell of a yeah. lot. It it gives me a lot of hope for the Dark X Men, which is honestly probably my second most excited behind Uncanny Spider Man, but may like I could see it being the best of the batch. I'm very excited yeah. for it. I think so too. Any other thoughts on the Pride issue or any thoughts on either of the stories more than my little quick summary I did? No, no really specific thoughts. They're you know, they were nice reads. Next week 
We've got New Mutants League Legion number four, Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain number five. So at least one of them's in the, and then X Force forty one. So we get to see another beast from the future who's destroying everything. Whatever. Other than those, do you have any late breaking news or gossip you want to talk? I don't think so. All right. Then we'll see you guys next time. Uh, I'm not saying next week for sure because as we record. I am less than 36 hours from having two twins sliced out of my wife's tummy and uh, becoming a dad of three. So probably, maybe, hopefully, you'll get an episode next week. But we don't really know what recording and especially editing is going to look like. So episodes may be late. Uh, you may get episodes that were like clearly recorded in chunks where like I got 20 minutes so I sat down and we talked one book and then two nights later we got an- I got another 20 minutes and we got to sit down talking about another book. I really don't know what it's going to look like but we're going to do our best to bring you the best version of the show we can. Absolutely. We'll get episodes out when we can get episodes out. You know, if if it we will cover the- every- we will cover every book eventually. Absolutely. You know, if it gets to the point where we have to do, you know, another Shark Girl Week-esque, you know, uh, catch-up, we'll do what we have to do. We will talk about every page of X-Men content because, listen, guys, we've talked about Benjamin Percy this long. Are we really going to give up now? I did did get some feedback on Shark Girl Week that people were really grateful that we kept, like, the weeks separated into separate episodes, even the weeks that ended up really short. So we will attempt to do that. In the past, we had done two like supersized double episodes. Super shows, and those those were were fun to record. But I get how when you're like doing backlog stuff, that can make it tricky to to catch up. So feedback received. We we may we may fall behind schedule a little bit here. We will do our best not to. But if we do fall behind, we will keep posting episodes as like weeks. The, the man is having two more kids, right? <laughs> like, they're not the first ones. There are more kids. We got... I'm very excited for our little ex-babies. But... Oh, I'm so happy for you guys. <laughs> uh, anyways, until next time, I'm that nerdy Papa Bear on the socials. This guy is both Ranger. We have the Discord that I already referenced at the top that we would love to hear your answers for. Yes. Who's daddy? Who's daddy? But until next time, never eat lobster.